This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 210 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, Young Pro Roundtable. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's sponsors are Equestrian Collections, the whole universe of equestrian shopping at your fingertips at a price you can afford at equestriancollections.com. And Kentucky Performance Products, supplements done right at kppusa.com. Welcome to the Stable School, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They bring you the news through hell, high water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop cause it's time again for Stable School. Stable School. Stable School. I am still Glenn the Geek after all this time. <laughs> and I'm Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Every week we say that, and every week we haven't changed who we are. You know how they say you can't change people? Well, we've been doing this three and a half years, nothing's changed. Well, you we got a, a little older. Yeah, <laughs> you have a new horse or two, which we'll have to find out about Brody a little later on in the show to get an update. Yep, Big B. He's awesome. Good. But, but so, you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait for details. All right. So good. Well, you're not separated. No divorce in the offing. <laughs> no, no, no papers have been filed on either part. <laughs> no. Oh, no. No. Although things have been flying around the house. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's a settled. different story, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am Italian. <laughs> things just fly anyway. <laughs> you are very Italian, too. Well, we have a great show planned for everybody this week. We're going to be, you know how, we, I, th- I would say one of the things we hear a lot about here at the Horse Radio Network is teenagers that are coming up. And, you know, every teenager coming up that's a horse crazy girl or guy wants to be a professional rider. That is their ultimate dream. So we thought, let's do a roundtable. We've been enjoying doing these roundtables with people. Let's do a roundtable with a couple of young professional riders who this is what they do and find out what life is really like for them. You know, what's what the ups and downs are and what their days are like. And let's, you know, let's help those teenagers out there, those uh, those aspiring professional riders uh, and really learn what it's like for for them. You know, I think th- I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. We have a couple of riders. We have a dressage rider coming on who's, I think, 22 or 23 and, and doing this professionally. And then uh, we also have a, an eventer who's, I think, in her middle 20s. So they, they're both really new to their professional riding careers. And then later on in the show, I have a guest coming up for the Tack and Habit segment that you're going to like. This was so cool. Uh, we actually met her a while back at Ada. And she uh, she's she's been... She's been very persistent in in trying to contact us, and she finally did get through, and she sent us a product to test. Oh, boy. First of all, wait, before you go on, you you have to let me say the name of the business when it comes time. Okay. All right. Yep. And we tested this product, and we're going to hear how it did, and then we're going to get her on the phone to talk about why she invented this particular product. Uh, And I'm not going to give you any hints on whether this product tested well or not that that'll be coming up i don't even know i didn't you guys get all the good testing 
I wish that, you know, I, I'm trying to find a chocolate company to send us cases of chocolate to test, but I haven't, I haven't gotten there yet. How are you doing on your uh, diet? What diet? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. What diet? <laughs> you know, we were both so good about that for about four or five months. Yeah, and then my, I shredded my knee. What's your excuse? You shredded your knee, and I just felt sympathy pains and had to start eating with you. They call that, you know, when you're pregnant, they call that Kuvad syndrome. Where the husband starts to have similar symptoms as the wife during pregnancy. There's an actual syndrome. Well, what would it be if it's a co-host? I don't know. We'll have to look it up. And if it doesn't have a name, we'll give it a name. Because I think it's, I think it's, when you hang out with somebody so much, you definitely start to act like them. (laughs) That's bad. It is bad in our case. Oh my God. We would not be good for each other. (laughs) No, not at all. Your Italianness and my ADD, whoo, we'd be out there. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about things flying through the house. (laughs) Exactly. Well, let's, uh, let's take a break here for Equestrian Collections product of the week. And then we're going to be back with our Young Pro Riders Roundtable. Hi, Glenn, back with you from the Horse Radio Network. I'm here with Debbie with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. This week we're featuring some new exciting breeches that we have in in stock right now for the Plus Size Rider. Equine Couture Plus Size Cool Max Champion Side Zip. These breeches have a year of seat. They have the CF2 bottoms, which is that silky uh, material that helps you get the boot, uh, your leg in the boot nice and smoothly. They, the fabric is 82% nylon, 12% Coolmax, and 6% Lycra, the most comfortable thing you can put on. They're perfect for summer riding. They're perfect for summer shows, and they're in stock right now. We have long and regular sizes all the way from 36 up to 44. So this is just the perfect summer breach, and we can get it to you right away. Just uh, It's about $79. Wow, well, that's a, a terrific price, price, Debbie. Yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, so that's the Equine Couture Cool Max Champion Side Zip. You can also shop in our 1824 store to find these breeches and many other products for the Plus Size Rider. And, of course, that's all at equestriancollections.com. Well, coming up right now, we're going to get some young professionals on the show with us to have a little roundtable discussion about what it's like to be a professional rider at such a young age. We have Mary Lawrenson coming on. She has been on the Horse Radio Network before. She is a dressage rider out of Boston, uh, up your way. And she she rode in the in the Young Riders and all of that and came up through the ranks and now is a professional, graduated from college, I believe now and is riding full-time, and we're going to find out from her what that's like. And then joining in the discussion is Allie Slusher. Uh, She is an inventor, lives in Kentucky, and she also came up through the ranks and is now a professional inventor. So we're going to get them both on to talk to both of them about what it's like to, to be a young professional rider. Well, hi, guys. Thank you so much for joining us on this roundtable discussion here at Stable Scoop. Hi, Glenn. Good to be back on the show with you. Well, let's start with Mary, because Mary's an old hat at this. She's been on a couple of our shows now. She's become a, uh, a full-time broadcaster, I think. Uh, I don't know when she has time to ride. But Mary, t- tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, what you do. 
Well, I have been riding my entire life, and it's always been dressage for me. Um, basically, since before I could walk, I was riding ponies and um, grew up on a farm where my mom was the trainer and um, had me in the saddle pretty much all of the time. And um, I did the FEI juniors, the FEI young riders, and then um, over the last year, I after I turned 21, I then had to make the decision if I wanted to go professional, if I wanted to do um, my riding as an amateur, but I pretty much knew my whole life I wanted to be professional. So here I am. I'm completely submerged in the world of dressage, and I'm a trainer, competitor, coach, and um, I'm in, at the barn pretty much all of, all of the time. <laughs> now, you were doing some modeling and, and some other things like that as well. Are, and, and I know that you did some videography and things. Are you still doing that, dabbling in that? When I have time, but I honestly have spent, I spend so much time at the barn and I, I kind of, that's what's most important to me. So that all went sort of on the back burner. But when I have time, I do those things. Okay. And Allie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am obviously an inventor and, um, I too have ridden most of my life. Um, and I actually, um, as a kid actually had no desire to be a professional and, um, didn't really even know if I was going to really stick with it. And, um, as a teenager, um, I, I got a lot more into it, I guess. And then when I, um, I went to college and, um, wanted to become an English teacher actually, and a high school English teacher. And, um, and then I went to be a working student um, when I was 18 or 19, and I got a new horse then. And so, I don't know, just a uh, flip was switched, and and sort of my riding took off, and, and my passion for it really developed. And, um, and then I started competing at the upper levels, and uh, I've never looked back since, and I had a... After I did that, I started my own business in Northern California um, as a trainer and a coach. And um, and then I just recently moved about eight months ago to Kentucky, to Paris, Kentucky. It's just outside of Lexington. And um, and I started a business here and um, have spent all my time in the barn and only ride or teach and, and loving every minute of it. You're actually <laughs> not... Too far from our co-host of the dressage radio show, Reese Koffler Stanfield. You're you're just down just down the road from her, actually. Oh, really? Uh, yep. So uh, she's she's right there as well. Now, Allie, you you um, I got you as a referral actually from Samantha over at the eventing radio show, our co-host over mm-hmm. there. And you know, you've you've been as you said. Who did you work under, by the way, uh, when you were a working student? I I at first worked under Holly Bennett, uh, the Canada. Canadian rider that based in Southern yeah. California. Yep. And then I moved um, to Pennsylvania and worked for Buck Davidson. Um, and so I've worked for both of them. Well, you had you had some good training there. I mean, between the two of them, you had some yeah. terrific training. Yes, I agree. I, I think they are both wonderful coaches and have been wonderful mentors and good friends to me. So, yes, I feel very fortunate to uh, to be close to both of them and to have been able to work and learn under them. Now, Mary, what are you thinking these days of, um, well, first of all, how difficult is it to be a professional dressage rider or is it difficult at all? What are the challenges and what are the benefits? Well, I mean, specifically as one... it pertains to your discipline. 
Yeah, well, it's it's certainly difficult. There's no doubt about that. I think making it um, in any of the disciplines is very difficult. But um, dressage, I think, especially is less understood by the greater population. So, um, you know, for that, you, there's only a select amount of people that really become dedicated. Um, and there's only so many people out there that are truly interested in it. But as far as you know, the every day, there's a lot of politics involved and there's a lot of personalities involved. So really, the horses are the easiest ones to deal with. Oh, gosh, um, I always say that. Yeah, it's never the horses that are the problem. It's always the people. Yeah. But, I think Allie uh, would agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep definitely. And I would say just the, you know, building the partnership with your horse, it takes so many years, especially get, to get to the very top of dressage, you know, to make a Grand Prix horse typically takes at least 10 years, if not more. So, I mean, there's a lot of time involved. So there's there's so many different outlets. So I'd say the time um, that you have to spend training and networking and, you know, just you know, constantly thinking about it and, and goal setting, all of that makes it very difficult. Um, and as far as it being profession, there are so many good riders out there. So you're constantly trying to find ways to um, have an upper hand, how you can be stronger in competition, because ultimately it comes down to um, how good of a communicator you are with your students and really how strong you can be um, when you're out there showing. When do you feel like there is, um, so it's really on the way up, it's getting to that level that would be the yeah. most challenging. Yeah. It but is, once you're sure. there, I guess, what are your mental goals? Every time you go into, obviously you, you want to get the best score that you can, but right. is there a bigger picture then? You, once you reach that level, is there a bigger picture within which you want to work? Or well, sure. Achieve? Every time. Yeah. Every time. I mean, of course it's, it's different per horse, but I know for instance, my horse, my young rider Grand Prix horse that I've now owned for 10 plus years. My goals with him is very different than um, this talented young horse that I'm working with. For him, I'm always thinking, I want to get in there and have a really clean test and have it better than the last time. And for the other horse, you know, he, he's such a superstar that, um, you know, I, I just, I know that I'm going to have a great ride on him virtually every time. He's young, so there's always some challenges there. But I think ultimately, no matter what horse you're on, you just you just want to feel that each time you get out there, you're, you're getting better and that every little bit is improved because there's so much minutia to pay attention to. Yeah. So you get so rewarded you just, by, by you hit that sweet spot and there, there's a million different sweet spots that you can hit on any given ride. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And as you get further up there, you know, the movements become more and more difficult and you just want to have a sharper, cleaner test every time. But it's also that great feeling too, when you come out and you have a clean test, you know, you want to replicate that great feeling between yourself and your horse where you feel like maybe there's always something you can improve, but you also always feel after that last salute that, you know, you, you come out there and you, you feel good. And that's something that I'm, I'm always shooting for to have that great feeling at the end. Allie, how, how about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that she has said as far as, um, you know, the, the, the difficulties with it. There are, you know, a set of, um, great riders that are already professionals that have made a name for themselves and, you know, uh, being a younger person trying to break into that is difficult. You have to prove yeah. yourself multiple times, um, you know, to be taken seriously. Not that people don't, but, you know, like there's loyalties to certain instructors that, and you don't want to infringe on that, but start trying to build your own clientele um, and have people have faith in you uh, as a, a trainer and an instructor, that takes some time and that takes some um, dedication. And I think that being younger, uh, people just assume you probably won't know enough or, you know, or 
won't be good enough or whatever. And so, you know, trying to prove yourself time and time again, not only uh, teaching and and building a good uh, reputation as an instructor, but also as a rider. And it's twofold because mm-hmm. my instruction is just as important to me as my riding and competing. I, you know, I, it's a dual business and I love both aspects of them. And so, you know, you want to, you want to build both sides of them equally. And, um, and as far as competing, and I think the, the name of the game is mental toughness. And I think that's in all horse sports, um, but definitely in eventing because you do have to perform three different phases and, um, stay on your game for three different days in a combined score with one horse. And there's a lot of opportunity to, uh, for things to go wrong. And I think it's important that we have mental toughness to stay safe. And I think it's, uh, very necessary to have mental toughness to do well in the dressage. And you're going to have a slightly more tired horse on Saturday for show jumping. So you have to be, you know, mentally prepared and, and focused on how you're going to give your horse the best ride. And so I think that that is something that has been, um, noticed and has been on the rise as far as popularity, um, and things that we're looking into is our mental game. And I focus a lot on that. Um, and, you know, to hope that that can be sort of my edge. Now, I do, you know, there's something that, that people always wonder. And I, I, by the way, it was interesting. Thank you, Mary, for actually bringing up politics and acknowledging that that, that does exist. That is mm-hmm. part of the challenge. And it's true whether you're barrel racing or in rodeo or dressage or eventing or jumping, it doesn't matter. Anytime you got more than two people in a group, you have politics. Now, <laughs> um, what about making money? And this may seem like a dumb question, but I, I know Helene and I talked about this a little bit. How do you make money? So, Allie, you know, how do you pay the bills? Uh, um, praying a lot. <laughs> that is how she started that with I've tried praying, praying for 30 yeah. years, Allie. It's never worked for me. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, uh, hours. Hours spent. Hours spent doing anything and everything that you can, especially because I came to Kentucky with no business. I didn't know anybody. And I moved to a hundred acre farm with my own horses, which is only bills and, um, with no clientele. And so I've done everything. I got a job at a restaurant. I teach every lesson that I can. I will ride anything that I can. And I think a very necessary part of our sport is selling horses. I think, you know, to get those larger sums of money, you have to sell horses. You can't keep them all. And, um, and then day to day lessons and training and, and work on the sides. And now that I'm um, around the thoroughbred business a lot more, you know, I'm I'm sort of delving into that. And, like, I'll do yearling prep if I need to or work the sales if I need to. So I'm definitely going outside of what I guess my ideal would be. You know, yeah, okay, I want to ride these perfect eight horses a day and, and teach these 10 great clients a week and, and make all my bills. But that's not that's not the reality for me now. And it won't be the reality for me for a very long time. So be knowing that and knowing what you're going to have to put in and hours spent and not being afraid to take that on as a challenge. So what are we breaking that down exactly. to is you're, you're doing anything you can, including the lessons, including training horses, including working side jobs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Mary? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with what Allie has to say. It's not enough just to be riding those, you know, 10 horses a day that you abs- that you know so well. You have to reach outside of your comfort zone and see what other opportunities are out there. Um, and I think everybody can relate. If anybody's been a working student, it's, it's 
it doesn't just, you don't just go from being a working student to suddenly having a whole lot of income coming your way. You know, it takes time to really build your name and for people to be willing to pay you um, for training or for lessons or for anything for that matter. Um, so you have to be willing to reach out and see what's available to you to make some extra income because we all know that there's so many bills when you own your own horse, especially, and trying to feed yourself on top of that's important. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunities out there as well, you know, to, um, go out there and find those that need help, whether it's finding another trainer and, you know, helping them work some of their horses. Or in my case, I felt really fortunate that just as I came out of Young Riders and I decided that I wanted to do this professionally full-time, I was given the job as an assistant trainer. And for that, I've had um, some financial stability because the professional that I work under has really, you know, put me under her wing and helped me out in a lot of ways because she recognizes how a young person like ourselves can struggle, especially when, you're doing what we do every day where there's so much expense involved, especially if you're out there competing on top of it all. So it, it's it's definitely true. You can't just stay in your comfort zone. You have to get out there and, and push to find um, ways to make it all financially um, easy for yourself. That is true, going outside of your comfort zone. I mean, it's it's a business and you forget that you are the your service or you are the commodity and you have to treat yourself as such, which can be hard. You know, it sounds like you come from a place of not a lot of professional riders or even trainers and instructors have that vision, you know, can see Mm -hmm. the the big picture and say, okay, I really need to just do a little here, do a little there, even things that I'm not a hundred percent comfortable with. It doesn't mean that your entire career is going to be filled with those uncomfortable types of of services, but exactly. you do have to be willing to say, Hey, listen, um, you know, you, you spread yourself kind of thin because you have to, and it's, it's hard yeah. because at the end of the day you go home and you're like, Holy cow, I can't even get in the shower. But, um, <laughs> so you, right. You spread yourself a little bit thin, but then that, that starts to narrow down as you, a, um, develop some credibility for yourself. B, you get mm-hmm. some more clients and, uh, you know, a couple of cash cows in there never hurt. And then you start to also realize what you're willing to put up with and what you're not willing to put up with. Uh, right. And there know. comes a time. Yeah, for sure. And there comes a time where I think um, you, you're recognized for your strengths and you can build upon that, whether it's, you know, training horses, perhaps you go out on a limb and you train a more difficult horse that no one else is willing to take. And other people then recognize that, hey, this this girl really knows what she's doing. I'm going to send my horse hurt. And there's another, you know, business opportunity right there. So it's Everything starts to just sort of fall around you as you put yourself out there. And, and you and, know what? Those guys yeah. bounce better when they're that age. And, you know, the broken bones, they recover <laughs> faster. So. This is well, funny enough, I, to- I completely agree that, like, people want to figure out what, what is your, maybe not your niche, you know, like, yes. um, like yeah. problem horses. For me, I had two upper-level mares, uh, and now magically I have... Uh, 15 mares in the barn. I've been sent mares because they people have seen that I like mares. And it's not that I don't like geldings. I wish I had more geldings. I really love geldings. But because there was, you know, a kind of a negative feeling towards mares with some people, then they find, you know, people that own mares find someone that really loves them and really can work with them. And, and then it turns out I had majority mares. <laughs> which I have no complaints about. It's just people see what you work with and, and sort of form to you. Boy, I yeah. pity her neighbor. She has the noisiest barn in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are they all redheads, too? Oh, boy. Uh, I've got a few redheads. I've got, like, four matching 
chestnut mares. It's it's funny, but I have I do have more um, bays than chestnuts, but I have no problem with a chestnut mare. I have like I am I am not biased to anything really in general except the fact that I love working with a mare attitude and and that doesn't slow me down. Yeah, you got to admit, the, the girls are hard workers. You got to admit, <laughs> absolutely, we are absolutely. Now, you guys, what what about a social life? What do the, what do these young aspiring uh-huh. teenagers have to look forward to? <laughs> There's you travel that giggle a lot. again. <laughs> yeah, you travel a lot, and you know, do you have a social life? You make time for uh, it where you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think when I was in California, um, I. Um, it was a different business. I had a uh, a farm owner, and I was just the trainer there, and that was sort of how I started out. And um, and it was a little bit easier, just just as far as breaking into the sport. It was on a a smaller scale, and um, and I competed all the time. Like every other weekend, I was gone. And now that I moved to Kentucky, I sort of had to take a step back because I was starting my very own business on my own property that I had. Uh, to learn a whole lot of business sense that I did not know before as far as just dealing with clients and boarding and who wants what hay and, you know, and that, and that aspect has taken a lot, a lot more time and, um, and it's definitely a lot more stressful. So, so I don't have nearly as much time. Plus I work at a restaurant at night. So for a long time, my social life has been non-existent. And, um, like she said, the like, if you have a night off, yeah, you'll go out and, and have a good time, but you can't really go out and have too good of a time because you have to get up and work the next day. So, And you have to get up early. It's not like you can roll in at 9 o'clock, which really in the horse world is half your day. Right. Yeah, exactly. Waste half a day. Yeah. There's always Facebook. Yes. (laughs) Amen. And there's a way to, this is one of the things that's good and bad about being, having a career in the horse world is that you can sort of integrate social interaction with your professional life because you know you 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 know like with any job you you're you're social at work and it's just you know like I said it's good and it's bad but at least you're surrounded by other people who like what you do as well you know you share the same passion which is a plus that's half the battle I think sometimes in establishing relationships yeah and I mean my mantra is work hard play hard so when you're out at you know the horse shows you can you're you're surrounded by all of your your friends and your peers so, Allie, if you had some advice to give that teenage girl coming up, what would you have done differently to get to the point you have, or, you know, what would you like to tell them? You know, it's so hard to say what I would have done differently. I love where I'm at. Like, I, I wouldn't change where I'm at for anything now. And just because I have very stressful days and stressful weeks doesn't mean I would change what I'm doing. You know, I, I sometimes I'm riding, I'm like, man, it would be so nice to go back to being a working student and, and go to Europe and, and live that life and try that because there's lots of people my age that, that do that and get to the same end goal just in a different route. But this is the path that I've chosen, and I love it. And so, you know, I can't say what I necessarily would have done differently. If I didn't own so many horses, yeah, I would at some point like to – um, go work for someone in Europe, but at this point, that's not an option for me. So, you know, take the time and be a working student. You're not going to make it if you're not a working student for at least one or two people. And that's where you learn one hard work and two, uh, all the ins and outs of the business. And, you know, um, so 
I think that that is, that's one huge aspect of it. Learn what you can from the people that you look up to because um, it's not what they say, it's what they do that's going to teach you the most about what you do and don't want to be like. (laughs) And don't be afraid to work hard. It's going to be harder than you think. And everybody fair warned me that this was going to be harder than I thought, and and it has been. And it's not like I wasn't fair warned, but um, but it's all been worth it so far. And uh, Mary? Well, I think Allie said a lot of great things there, and I agree. One of the best things you can do is search for the opportunities out there, you know, whether it's becoming a working student or, you know, going over to Europe and seeing what opportunities lay over there if you really want to take this seriously and become a professional. But I think the bottom line is investing time in yourself and in your education before you go out there and declare yourself as a professional. You know, give yourself plenty of time to develop as a rider and um, take advantage of all the great professionals we have here in the U.S. and what's available overseas. Um, And once you feel that you have all of that backing and you you really have worked hard. I mean, you can never work hard enough. But once you're at that point and someone sort of gives you the go-ahead and, and takes you under their wing, then that's the time that you can really start to pursue it as a professional. But I think the key is to really take your time and invest in your own education. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here and give us an, some insight into what it's like to be a young professional rider. Thank well, you. Thank you for having us. Give me, Mary, do you have a website or, uh, or not? I do. Okay. I do. My website's www.marybonick, that's B-A-H-N-I-U-K, Lauritsen, L-A-U-R-I-T-S-E-N.com. Okay. My and full name. It is um, yeah. Flusher Eventing, S-L-U-S-H-E-R, Eventing.com. Very good. Thank you, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Well, now, Helena, tell us the truth. Now, I know you started into horses a little bit later. You weren't necessarily into the teenage years because you kind of lived in the city. But what, what now that you got into riding, you really went deep into fox hunting and, and all of that. Did you ever have aspirations of being a professional rider? Um, yeah, I did. I thought, I, I did think that at some point, because I, I had met some really inspiring professional role models. And I, I adore... Margie Goldstein, um, Nona Garson, a lot of the show jumpers are the sort of the professional riders that I had met early on in my, my riding life. And I was just really inspired by what they could do. And then when we started talking, when we spoke to Gina Miles and, you know, looking at all these professional riders who are older than me, I was like, I could do that. I could get there. I could definitely do that. If I had nothing else to do, if I had no family, no job, you know, I just had to smile and get sponsorship money. (laughs) Maybe I could be a pro rider. I don't know that there are professional fox hunters, though. Well, there are. Well, uh, I wanted to be an eventer. I still want to to event. You know, I I wanted to go up to the highest levels of eventing. That was sort of my goal. And then I saw some of those jumps at Rolex. (laughs) (laughs) Checked your mind pretty quick. I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good down here on the ground. Thanks. And then you switched to dressage, right? Uh, safer, not as high a jumps. Uh, no, I yeah. still like jumping. I mean, it's um, and you, you know what? The goals changed. I, professional rider one day, and now it's just I'd like to get over, you know, a two six jump without falling off, <laughs> off my horse, horse's neck. Um, but I do know a lot of young girls who do have dreams of becoming a professional rider of. You know, not just like teaching lessons or 
being involved in, in the horse world in some way in their career, but actually riding as a professional, getting paid to ride. And, uh, and the other thing is I know some very talented riders who are not pros at riding, um, whether either they're amateurs or they're, they have, you know, they just, they work in a barn or they're managing a stable who I think would be amazing as professional riders. So I think this is a really interesting conversation. It's a very relevant topic. Terrific. Well, any young, if you have a young rider in your life out there, uh, your youngster that wants to become a professional rider, have them listen to this episode. I think this would be a good one for them to refer back to. Well, we're, it's time now for our Kentucky Performance Products Supplement lesson, and we're back with Karen from Kentucky Performance Products, who's going to give us another uh, sort of a lesson here on supplements. We call it Supplement 101. Hi, Glenn McGeek here from the Horse Radio Network, and I'm here with Karen from Kentucky Performance Products with a sensible supplementing tip of the week. And this is part two, talking about senior horses. Last week, we talked about the ones who can't keep weight on, and this week, we're talking about everybody's dream horse, the Easy Keeper. Now, sometimes that causes its own set of problems, which we're going to talk about today. Hi, Karen. Hi, Glenn. How are you today? Okay, so when we talk about easy keepers, we mean seniors that uh, don't have any trouble keeping weight on, and but yet that has its own set of issues, doesn't it? Well, it does, because, I mean, people call us all the time and go, my gosh, what am I going to feed this horse? He lives on air. You know, I we have one of those. <laughs> I know, you have one beaker. <laughs> yep. yep. And, and it's, just, it's, it's really frustrating. Um, again, like we talked about last time, it's so important for these older horses to have enough fiber in their diet. And, you know, how do you, if you have a 1,000-pound fat little quarter horse, you know, how do you feed them 20 pounds of hay a day? And, you know, you need to try to get at least 15 to 20 pounds of hay in them. And what most people do and what they've figured out is that you have to buy a lower-quality hay. Of course, with lower-quality hay, you have to worry about mold and dust and so on. So it's really important to find a source uh, of somebody that will give you a mature timothy or, or one of the other grass hays that doesn't have as much energy per pound in it uh, and get a good mature source and have that in front of your horse all the time so he has that long stem hay to chew. You know, many of these older horses, senior horses, uh, and, and horses that are easy keepers, cannot tolerate much grass, if any, at all. Um, so there's a couple of things, and also they can't tolerate a lot of grain. So right there you have you have some big holes in their diet, you know, because hay only has so many vitamins and minerals in it. And then, of course, the more mature hay, which is what you want to feed these guys because they don't need the energy, has even less vitamins and minerals in it. So the important thing to do is to find a good, balanced vitamin-mineral supplement that you can add to their diet. Um, some people are fortunate enough that they can get a uh, one of those like light feeds, and they can feed enough of that if you feed it at the recommended level that they tell you to, however many pounds that is. Usually it's around five pounds a day. Then your horse should be getting the complete complement of vitamins and minerals. But if you can't feed the recommended amount of concentrate, say if you're feeding half or if you're feeding you know a handful of grain a day, then your horse is not getting the vitamins and minerals he needs. And you have to, you have to provide that. You have to fill that gap with a vitamin and mineral supplement. We would have that. Geez, if we fed Beaker five pounds a day, uh, <laughs> it would be, <laughs> be the size of a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I had a quarter horse that was like that too, and I was competing him. So you know, it was a real challenge. 
to uh, to try to, to to get the vitamins and minerals, and he really needed it. And you know, when horses just eating hay alone, you start to notice that their their coat starts to get dull, and you know, they just don't look very good. So if you can, if um, finding a good, well balanced vitamin and mineral supplement will really help. The other thing that's that's very very important and is missing from a horse that's eating an all forage diet, especially an all hay diet, is natural vitamin E. And natural vitamin E, you know, the research is, is, is becoming more and more apparent through the research that horses really need this nutrient. It's an essential nutrient. Um, it would have been, been in their natural diet um, in the grass. Uh, it's an essential nutrient. They don't make it themselves, so you have to provide it for them. And if it's not there, then horses will have lots of problems. The vitamin E is an antioxidant that supports all the systems in the body and if it's not there then horses will have a lot of trouble so it's important to give your horse a vitamin e supplement as well now we use uh, for beaker who's our our very easy keeper quarter horse we use microphase which is a kentucky performance product yes it is and microphase was developed um specifically for that purpose you know i i was like okay what am i going to give this horse of mine that you know is can live on air it also has natural vitamin E in it, microphase, and it's very important to use natural vitamin E. Many um, feeds and supplements will use synthetic vitamin E, which is a petroleum-based product, and it is not absorbed as well in the horse as natural vitamin E, which is plant-based. The, the synthetic vitamin E has a much more complicated molecular structure, so it's not absorbed as well. So you want to look for a natural vitamin E when you're looking for a vitamin E supplement. And that's microphase. And you have a second one, too, that could be beneficial for the older easy keeper. We do. That's the Elevate Maintenance Powder. And that's a natural vitamin E. Um, and it's you, you just feed 7 grams a day, which, you know, it's hard for people to, to relate to what a gram is. But it's this tiny little scoop. And you one jar lasts 130 days. And you need to feed around 1,000 to 2,000 IUs of natural vitamin E a day to a horse that's on an all-forage diet. And it's just hanging out. You know, if they're exercising, you have to increase it more because as the horse exercises more, their antioxidant requirements go up. But for a horse that's just hanging up and doing, uh, hanging out, hanging up, hanging out and doing <laughs> light trail riding, just 1,000 to 2,000 IUs is sufficient. Terrific. Well, you can find out more about both of those products at Kentucky Performance Products. Their website is kppusa.com, and they have some terrific articles in there also under the Tips and Topics section. And we also encourage you to follow them on Facebook. Just search for Kentucky Performance Products because Karen is always putting all kinds of good information up there, too, about horse health and nutrition. And you can find it all, again, at kppusa.com. And now it is time for Tack and Habit, everybody. All right, Linda, I now promised you the chance to say this name first. Our Tack and Habit product of the week is... Oh, my God, it's the cutest name ever. Pink Pony Bakery. That is <laughs> correct. Pink, I mean, it's nothing. It's not like nothing verbally amazing, but I just like to say pink pony. Well, and you, it's a bakery, so it's pink pony food. If you go to their website 
at pinkponybakery.com. You're going to see their cute little mascot is a pink baker pony. He's a pink pony that bakes with a little baker hat. Well, they actually had stuffed animals made that looked exactly like that. And they are the cutest little horsey stuffed animal I've ever seen. Um, Little pink pony stuffed animals. And she, the, the nice lady Brenda from the bakery, sent us a whole box of treats to see if they would be beaker approved. Okay. They look, they look people approved. They I want to eat them. They, because she bakes some cupcakes and she bakes donuts. I mean, she, this bakery bakes stuff, cookies, that they look like donuts. They look like cupcakes. They look like cookies. And they are crack for horses. <laughs> um, uh, let's get her on the line so I can tell her how okay. this went at her house. Okay. I still haven't let her know what you know how how we did. Oh, she doesn't here. know no. that whether it was approved or not. So we're gonna. Let so wait, her wait, know wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So were they approved? We'll find out. Come wow. up. Well, thank you so much, Brenda, for joining us, and thank you for sending the big box of baked treats for our horse. Oh, I'm glad to do that for you. Well, let me tell you, the results are in. Now we have okay. Thir- let me hear. We have thoroughly tested this. Drum roll. And, uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you what. Now you sent us a whole variety of goodies. You sent us the yes, cupcakes. You sent us the donuts. You sent us the cookies. You know, right. we had a whole variety. Well, let me tell you what happened when we first opened the box. The cat went crazy. The cat went nuts and wanted to be okay, in the box. that's a new one. <laughs> wanted to be in the box, wanted to be all over the box, would not let Jennifer alone. The cat was screaming. Our cat absolutely loves Pink Pony Bakery. Well, and, I think that's great. And now we put the empty box, the empty box from the post office, sat on the desk, and the cat keeps trying to get in it, even though there's nothing in it, but it smells good. I bet it smells great. So it is cat approved, number one. Oh, the that's beast, good. The beast likes pink pony bakery treats. And then the dog had to get involved. So I can honestly say that the dog loves pink pony bakery treats. We never even got a chance to get out to the horse before those two chiped in. So, <laughs> great. So now we're approved by two of the members of the animal okay. family here at the farm. So then we had to go out to Beaker. Now, Beaker is picky, he doesn't like carrots. He doesn't like normal things that you would think a horse would like. Really? Yeah, okay. not even fond of apples a whole lot. So Brody's the same way. He's not a big fan of carrots and apples either. He went crazy for the pink pony treats. Awesome. He just went nuts for it. Awesome. He will give up grass, which is a hard commodity to come by here in Florida. But we have a neighbor that has a grass lot, and he goes out there twice, twice a day. And he just will give up grass for these. He loves, loves, loves these things. And we've tried them all now. And there isn't one he doesn't like. And Jennifer calls it his crack. This is pony crack. <laughs> so she has a new name for pink pony treats, and that is pony crack. She oh, said that's he's awesome. addicted to these. Just Great. loves them. Now, she went down the road on a ride one day, and we have lots of people. We're in an equestrian neighborhood. So she has now officially tested with multiple horses in the neighborhood who are just hanging out by the fence. And I'm sure their owners love when we feed them stuff. Um, <laughs> and there wasn't a horse here that didn't like these. And, and our, our sister-in-law's horse, uh, she has a mare, a quarter horse mare, loves these treats. So far, so far you have 100% approval across the board. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It is. It is. These are good stuff. People, the horses just love them. I don't know what you have in there. Maybe there is crack in them. We're not sure. Um, it's, a it's a secret recipe. It's a secret recipe. And the, the a, premise behind the premise behind Pink Pony Bakery is, 
I came up with a little story um, that the the Pink Pony Bakery, the Pink Pony Riding Academy, all the horses who were in the academy were getting tired of the dry, yucky treats. Everybody was feeding them. So in the middle of the night, they snuck up into the barn, I mean, to the main house from the barn, and they made their own treats. Thus, Pink Pony Bakery treats were born. And I, mm-hmm. Helena, have Pinkerton See? sitting right and that, here And Pinkerton is the head baker. Yeah. Um, it kind of paralleled my life, uh, traveling with my daughter from, sh- from show to show. She did the hunters and equitation, and we were gone a lot of the time. And we loved our horse so much, and so we thought, well, let's try to find some, just some fun treats for the horse. We love arrows and couldn't find anything. So one day, sitting home alone, I thought to myself, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make these myself. Didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my husband, didn't tell the kids. I didn't tell anybody. And I spent months developing a recipe. When I finally did, the name came to me. I don't even know where it came from. I told my husband, and he said, what? (laughs) And And now he loves it. He's my biggest fan. He thinks it's fabulous. I developed the, the, then I got the logo done. I had a theme song done. Um, uh, by the way, we're going to play the theme song to play the show out today. So stay till the very awesome. end of the show. Great. And Yay. You're going to hear the it's theme cute. song at the very end of the show today. But you actually went to the, the expense also of having your head baker, Pinkerton, which is a pink pony with the little, with the little chef's hat, the cutest right. little stuffed animal. You actually had stuffed animals made, and you sent us one along. And we're going to post pictures on our Facebook page, too. Oh, good. Okay, great. Yeah, because I took pictures of all this. So, I mean, you really went all out here. What other, what other cookie company has a theme song? I don't know. None. <laughs> well, none. Because <laughs> he loved it. Just, it, it happened that my son, who is a computer whiz, um, had done a, helped on a website with the rock band in Los Angeles. And somehow they looked on his website and saw that I, he had done Pink Pony Baker, so they decided to do the theme song for it. <laughs> and um, it's called AM Radio. It's from a big label in Los Angeles, and they just did it for me. And they even used it as their hold music. Like when people are calling to the record label and put that hold, <laughs> Pink Pony Bakery song was played, <laughs> <laughs> which was awesome. And people love, uh, people just love pink. They love ponies. And this has just been great. It's been taking off. So, Well, that's terrific. Are they in stores now? They're in stores. Um, they're in stores in New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Collierville Saddlery takes them around to shows with them. Um, I sell on the website. I do horse shows once in a while. Um, they're given out as prizes at horse shows. Um, so starting to take off and I love it. I, every treat is homemade. They're handmade. And every time we wrap up a box, we cannot wait for whoever ordered it to get it because we're still so excited about the treats. So. <laughs> You know, it is they cute, uh, Helena. They come in the the donuts come in a little donut box, like you'd get at uh, Dunkin' Donuts. I know. I'm looking at the pictures. <laughs> I want to eat them. I want. Some I people eat do, and some people do. I have, I'm probably the only person who, who works around them who has not tried them. <laughs> I'm particularly um, interested in the peppermint horse treats. <laughs> those with the crunch, they look really good. It's, yeah, it's those, are the, those are seem to be the most popular. Those are the biggest sellers. Um, people like the peppermint nuggets, but I've yeah. had people tell There's... me that, um, the, I have some people who buy it in bulk and some, one time, uh, their horses got out of their fence and they were running toward the road and they got the pink pony bakery bucket out and shook it and the horse stopped and came back. <laughs> so basically <laughs> pink pony bakery treats save lives. That's it. <laughs> it's all anybody needs to hear is they stopped and came back. 
Now, I don't Sent think these, uh, these look like they probably don't have a real high nutritional value. These are definitely a treat. Or could I be wrong? No, they're, well, they're a treat, but, you know, but they're wholesome. There's nothing bad in them. They're very wholesome. Um, I have the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. They come to the bakery. Oh, you know, really? they check the bakery. Um, they check the treats. They send them away for analysis. Huh. Um, you know, they come once a year. I mean, it's, 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 it, it's very, very well organized. I have to have a license. I've licensed in other states where I sell. Um, so it's not that you just can, you can't just like start making treats and sell them. You have to, there are a lot of rules to follow. I didn't know uh, Licenses to keep up with. I didn't um, know that. Did you know that, Helena? I thought that the treat companies were just making treats. Um, yeah. No, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Like Ohio is different than Pennsylvania. Their packaging requirements are different, so you send them, and you know they get them approved, and you have a license. Some some are are good for life, are yearly. So it's a huge undertaking, um, but it's worth it, and I love it. I love horses. I love horse people. The thought of kids walking into the barn with a box of Pink Pony Bakery treats is just really for me. Well, that's terrific. You can find these at pinkponybakery.com. They Correct. come Beaker, Glory, and The Beast approved. <laughs> so I love it. We have three uh, members of the animal kingdom that absolutely love these things. And, and as I said, the cat just will not let this box alone. We use it to tease him now, actually. <laughs> uh, <so. laughs> oh, I love it. Well, this is good job. Good job. And you did it for a good, a good cause to help your daughter's show career. And, you know, we've talked about those moms before. <laughs> Alina, we've talked about those hunter moms before that have to sit and watch their daughters go round and round and round, and they have lots yeah. of time to think, and this is what comes out of that yes, thinking as they're true. watching exactly. their daughters. Exactly. Yes, it's true. And, it's true. And, you know, we, we do anything for our kids, and my daughter, has she was diagnosed with juvenile diabetes when she was 11. In fact, we were at a horse show. She was riding a pony at the time, and I knew she something was wrong. And so she you know, has been insulin dependent since she was 11, and I thought, boy, I don't want to tell her there's anything that she cannot do. Mm. And she went all the way to qualify for medal finals and everything, and I'm really proud of her. And What's her name? Give her a shout-out. Leslie Carroll. All right. Terrific. Good job. <laughs> good job. She, she probably, probably kills her. You're here baking all this good stuff with sweet molasses and things, and, and she, she can't have it. Exactly. <laughs> That's all right. It's but boy, she, loves to, she loves to feed her horse with it. That's for sure. Well, That's all I love people who love their horses, so. We need to treat them every day. Okay, so um, I'm really, I, I'll just eat the horse treats. I don't, they, they don't have to we be human. We almost tried them. Yeah, I think they're just molasses and sugar and, and really good stuff. But Yeah, uh, so why not? It's crack for horses. That's well, it is. would be crack for me too. <laughs> I mean, Beaker, when we put him next door, he has to go next door to the neighbor's house to get grass because our, our paddocks are totally under trees, so there's not a lot of grass. So twice a day, he gets to go over for an hour to the neighbor's, which is perfect for him because he's such a fatty. <laughs> and, you know, we could not get him to come out of the grass. When we go over to catch him, you'd have to walk up to him, and then he'd walk away. We started feeding him this, these things, and he comes running over to the gate full tilt now uh, because he just loves these. It, it's better than grass. So that tells you they're approved. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Good stuff. <sighs> well, how about your horse? How's he doing? Apparently, he, he's a keeper. He is a keeper. I will tell you, he is just, he's a dream. He's a dreamboat. Um, I never thought I could get so lucky. He's, uh, I've been putting, posting my updates, Brody and the Bee, on Stable Scoop. I think uh, Chapter 4 is up next, and we are... 
we're going on little adventures together and he's really helping me regain my confidence one ride at a time. And, and, you know, there's stuff that I have to figure out about him. He's got a history that I don't really know about. And, um, so there's, there's a few confidence issues there, but I tell you, he's just, um, he's such a solid citizen and a love to have in the barn. Very people friendly, very affectionate, very chill. My vet adores him. And uh, we had, I had her come out and do like hawk x-rays and a full wellness exam and, uh, you know, egg counts, stool samples, all that stuff, just to make sure that he, he could do what I wanted him to do. And she thinks that he is absolutely physically fine for hunting. He will be great out in the, the hunt oh, field. terrific. So, uh, you know, as long as he doesn't get too crazy out there. He might be just fine. I, I might be able to get back to hunting. I <sighs> Now, how far is the nearest hunt from where you are? Well, they have a couple of meets down here in Westport, Massachusetts, which is right on the border. Um, little, little Compton is on one side of the, the state border, and then Westport's on the other side of the, the border. So um, they have a few meets down there. But Norfolk Hunt is about an hour and 15 minutes away. And then, you know what? If he's really good at it, I wouldn't have any problem trucking back up to Myopia and, for a weekend. And hunting with them. You'd have to stay over. That's a couple hour drive. Yeah, but I have, it's two hours and I have friends with barns. So if I can truck him up, I can go up on a, you know, Friday or something and um, stay over. He's got a place where he can be turned out and come home the next day. You can go up and show off your creamsicle hunting horse. He is the cutest. (laughs) Oh, he's such a love. He loves Gino, the cat, our our orange kitty, loves him. And so he, he woofles him, but then he wants to, you know, give him love bites. And Gina's like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. I like you too. You're big. I'm not afraid of you. But yeah, don't be biting me. <laughs> and how's the dog, your big dog that's the size of a pony get along? She will not, still doesn't want to come near the barn. No. No, she's like, I'll just wait out here. Thanks, mom. I'll wait on the porch for you to be done. Yeah. She's and if they horse, get. Your dog if, has horse husband syndrome. Well, remember, she got kicked in the head. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah she's, so she's got just done with that. Yeah. But I do have to tell you that my 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 old buddy Pie is in heaven with his new owner and he's been actually doing pony camp up oh, there really? at Carnegie Abbey. Yes. Like trucking around the little beginner kids. What? Yeah. Yeah. I knew he had it in him. He just needs to be in a place where he's in a regular program getting ridden, getting loved with someone who understands him, just getting, you know, regular attention and work. That's amazing, actually. You know, I never thought the standard bread air cross would do that. Yeah, he's, he, well, I don't know. I guess I had faith. Well, there you, well you found a right home for him. That was, yeah. that was the right thing to do. Yeah. So you can feel proud that you, you did that. That's terrific. Well, good job with Brody. I'm glad you found yourself a soulmate. You needed one of those. Yeah, you're not kidding me. I mean, if I remember right, it was only about three months ago that before we did the one show, you said, that's it. I'm done with horses. I'm getting out of the horse business. I'm quitting everything, and I'm not going back. Oh, I was this close. (laughs) I was this close. I'm like, i got to find a new hobby. Golf, maybe. You know, something. Something that doesn't win you and come up lame. I could, you know, I did. Yeah, right. I did. I did say to myself, if I do have to, like, get out of horses, I'm getting myself a really nice, fancy car. And then I'm going to go out shoe shopping. (laughs) With all the friggin' money that I spent on my horses, you imagine the shoe collection I could have? (laughs) Yeah, but then you'd really have nothing to do with them. I mean. I'd walk around in them. (laughs) I would drive my car in them. 
That's what this I This is do. much more satisfying. <laughs> Having a horse is much more satisfying. Oh, it is. It is. Well, terrific. Thank you. Or congratulations, Helena. That's Thank ter- you very much. Good job. Well, that's it for this week. We're out of time. We'll be back again next week here on Stable Scoop. Don't forget, you can hear all the shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com, and you can catch all of our show notes. If you're looking for a link for one of the guests that we've had in the past, just go to Stable Scoop and use the search button at the top and search for the the uh, guest name or company name or whatever, and it'll pop up, and you can find links to, to any of our guests right there in our show notes at stablescoop.com. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors, Equestrian Collections, as always, and Kentucky Performance Products. And that's it for this week, Alina. There will be more next week. Happy scooping. I